Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of the Extra Inch Podcast. It's season four, episode two. My name is Windy, and I'm joined by my psychic and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Yo. <laughs> I see what you've done there, and I'm not going to ask about it. We're just going to leave that hanging in the air, and then you look stupid. So uh, let's talk a little bit about Spurs. Um, we played a match. It's felt like forever. Um, I was really ready for a break after the Champions League final, but then this came around and I was super excited. Uh, and we played Juventus. We're in the ICC again. Um, I'll start with you, buddy. How did you, how did you, uh, how did you enjoy the game? Yeah, I'm a bit like you. I was, I was kind of like not really bothered about it. Then it, then it came and then I, I saw them warming up. I saw them in the tunnel and I was just like, ooh, Tottenham's back. And I, I, was, I was really excited. I watched the, the whole match standing up. Um, not because it was the most exciting game, but it was just, it was really nice to have Tottenham back and seeing them play and running around again. I mean, as much as the Women's World Cup and the, the Copper has been interesting and it's been nice to have a break from Spurs, it's, it's not quite the same, is it? Watching, watching Spurs play, it does, it does give you that kind of buzz and I'm, all of a sudden I'm really excited for the new season. Absolutely. And Nathan, it was an interesting lineup in a few for a few reasons. Um, Toby Adeverod was captain, so that was great to see. Uh, Pochettino threw in three youth players, so from my perspective, brilliant. And we also had uh, Tongai on Tongi, Tongi. I keep getting his name wrong. Tongi was on the bench and he came on. So lots of reasons to be excited. Um, which of those was the one for you? What, what got you off your seat, Nate? <laughs> Definitely the fact that we we brought a new player into this game made it exciting. I think that if we hadn't signed anyone yet, there would be a, a sort of a vague sense of dread around this game. Um, but instead, it was really exciting. Do you remember before Pochettino watching preseason games, and even if you watch other clubs' preseason games? how slow motion they are and how much they just sort of keep the ball and they pass yeah. it around the back and it's just like it's a, a dull training session. 
I preseason is fun to watch under Pochettino. I think that's an under um, talked about aspect is that we want to win these games and then you know <laughs> going for a audacious chip right at the death to <laughs> to secure that win. Yeah, I, it's preseason is fun under Pochettino. At least for us, it is. Um, I'm glad of that. Yeah, I, I have to agree with Nathan because it was amazing to see how Tottenham played in that first half. I mean, Juventus obviously their season starts a couple of weeks um, later than us, so maybe they're not quite in the sink of things yet but there was a real shock when I think within the first four or five minutes we were winning the ball up high pressing them really getting in their faces really aggressive football I mean not aggressive in the way like um, Sevilla were against Liverpool uh-huh. as in reckless tackles but pressing and forcing them into mistakes and it was it was great to see and um, I really liked how fresh and how alive everybody looked compared to how like broken they were towards the end of last season. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think the, the, the pressing was, it felt new. Like we've not seen Spurs press like that in some time now. And it kind of gets me excited for the forthcoming season. I, I thought I thought that perhaps the signing of Dombele would see us return to our pressing ways. And I, I'd hope that would be the case. And to me, this is, this is just giving me more hope that it will be. And I think we're at our best when we're winning the ball high up the pitch, mm. counter-attacking quickly and doing things. And I loved, um, in particular, Skip and Winks' performance in midfield. I thought Harry Winks looked, like you've just said, the players look so fresh. Winks looked fresher than anyone to me. He yeah. was probably absolutely raring to go after a bit of a stop-start season last year. And he looked great. He was like vacating his position a little but winning the ball in like high areas and Skip was backing up him up superbly and Nathan you thought Delhi played well as well expand on that a little because a lot of people thought Delhi was a bit quiet uh yeah no he was a bit quiet um you know uh faded but I I do think that when he he did have the ball he was sharp he played some really nice just vertical passes and was technical on the ball. Yeah, you know, he wasn't, you know, tearing everything up and scoring and, and the rest of it and, and running, but he just, he has a, a technical class um, and a confidence to his game that is still fairly unique in the team. And it's it's nice to see that back. <laughs> he also, true. he also adds a physicality to that midfield, especially alongside Skip and Wings. He, he looks bigger and he looks stronger and, I've always been a, a big fan of him further up the pitch, but perhaps this is him now settling into that role, into, into, a, into a midfield three. And I, I thought, like Nathan, I thought he played well. He wasn't um, the standout player. I thought Skip was really impressive. Um, but um, yeah, he played well. And um, yeah. And, and Bardi's favourite, Eric Lamella, buzzed about really usefully as well. And he kind of made a nuisance of himself. He won the ball several times in quite deep areas and then begun a counter-attack. And I thought Lamella looked really sharp. But we've seen that before from him in preseason. Yeah, where he kind of, loves preseason. He does. He does. He's he's kind of at his peak fitness and he's enjoying <laughs> life, and then he'll break down again and yeah. miss fifty percent of the games. And he goes yeah. he goes to Argentina. He goes to see some dubious bands. Drinks a lot of mate. Has a lot of barbecues and. He comes back full of life, and then I don't know what happens to him. Maybe the the baked beans, the cups of tea, they get to his body, <laughs> and he just starts disintegrating. So the other exciting thing from my perspective was that we threw in a few youth players. So Jaffet Tenganga played at centre back. Troy Parrott played up front, um, which was somewhat of a surprise. Um, and then who else played? Uh, Anthony Georgie played at left back, who's primarily a winger. So um, if I just say first that I think the main reason Tanganga is even on this trip 
is that TJ Ayoma is currently injured. So Ayoma's been the one that Pochettino has preferred so far um, as a, a sort of young centre back. I I think Tanganga's a better defender than Ayoma. I think Ayoma's better on the ball. And I thought Tanganga played really well. He looked very composed. Um, he read the game well. He used the ball sensibly. He didn't look out of place at all. Um, I presume, Bardi, that was the first time you've seen him play. Yeah, it was. And I was I was very impressed with how he played, especially with the new rule of the, the goal kicks from the six-yard box, is where the ball no longer needs to leave the area. So... At, at first, it was kind of panicking to see him, the, uh, like Gazaniga, passing it to him virtually in the six-yard box. But he was very composed. He moved the ball nicely. He made a couple of really good interceptions. And I'd, I've I've heard of his name because I never skip your um, youth update. But I'd never actually seen him play, and I, I was very impressed with him. I thought he, I thought he looked like a lovely player. And the other player to really impress was Troy Parrott, Nathan. He didn't have too many touches, but what he did do, he did really well. Yeah, he looks really good when we were counterattacking, when there was space to play in and he could get involved that way. He was a bit more quiet when we sort of we camped out in Juventus's half and, and were passing. He sort of didn't get didn't force his involvement that way. Um but that's fine. I think there's a lot of excitement about Parrot and like that's good and, and I'm all for um people being excited about young players and being positive in that way, but like he is seventeen. And like he's probably, I don't know if you agree, but I think he's probably still a year or two away from being with a look of, of first team minutes. I think a lot will depend on whether Llorente signs on again, to be honest. I think if Llorente is there, then all of the minutes that Parrot might have got will go to Llorente. Um, So, I mean, what we don't want to happen is for Parrot to play no football this year, because we've seen that happen with so many of our youth players, and that would not be helpful. So he either needs to be in the under-23s on loan or in the first-team squad. Um, Yeah, nothing would not be good at this point. Um, We then brought on a few more young players in the second half, so... um, George Marsh came on at right back. He's primarily a central midfielder. Harvey White came on at left back. Again, he plays central midfield mostly. And Jack Rolls came on um, in the Lamella role just behind the front two. Um, Rolls was a little quiet, perhaps. He didn't really get on the ball a great deal. Uh, Marsh and White only played 10, 12 minutes each. But encouraging to see them involved. Um, I mean, I guess it's a bit of a shame in a sense that we don't have any young fullbacks ready to come on or, or in the squad ready to come on. But it's an opportunity for Martian White, so you can't complain too much. The other player, of course, we haven't mentioned yet is Walker Peters. So he's one player who will be really looking to make an impression in this particular pre-season with Trippier having left now. And I thought he had a really good first half and I wasn't so keen on his second half performance. Could that go down to, could that be put down to tiredness, Bardi? Is it? Um, yeah, I think so. I thought he looked, I thought he looked good. Um, he he delivered exactly what you kind of expect from him—a bit of energy, bit of um, bit of pace. I, I I still struggle to see a Premier League, a, a top six Premier League fullback in him. I just I, I don't see his development moving on from where it is now. But um, you know he's fine, and if we start the season with him as a as a second choice right back, then I, I don't have a problem with that. Let's use that uh, comment to springboard into a conversation about our right backs, Nath, because we've got rid of Trippier, which I think we're probably all pleased about, and I think we got a good fee, etc., etc. Pleased um, for him? Are you you're pleased for him? Yeah, I think so. I I think he'll do well at Atletico, and I think do they... you. I do. I I just think that like okay, he's a good fullback. I don't think he was ever not a good fullback. I I think that his issues are with athleticism, and despite their name, I think that Atletico require a lot less athleticism from their fullbacks than we do, and that should suit him. So I disagree. Actually, I think he'll I think he'll 
come undone quite quickly at Atletico. I think um, he's he's quite a poor defender, particularly when he gets isolated one on one. And their style typically wants means that they'll be defending a lot and then springing forward. And I don't think he will have the ability to defend well or the capacity to spring forward at pace. So I'm not sure he suits. I don't think he suits their system particularly well. I mean, from a dead ball, great. I mean, yeah, sure. He'll, I'm sure he'll get some assists from free kicks and stuff. But I don't know. I just don't. I don't see him doing that well out, out there. Um, but again, great move for him. It's a it's a last payday really for him. Sure. Um, and it's, it's hard to hold a grudge because he never he never said anything wrong or did anything wrong. It's just he was what he was, and Pochettino continued choosing him. But we've now got an awkward situation unfolding because Aurier is not exactly the perfect right back, and <laughs> Kyle Walker Peters is pretty much untested still. Um, do, what would you do? Would you be looking to sell Aurier and replace him? I, I think so. I, I we talked before about only you know at the beginning of this, and we talked about you only really want to replace one right back. You don't want to throw out two right backs and then have to bring someone in. Um, but now Trippy is gone, and I'm looking at Ori. I'm just completely lacking in confidence. Hmm. Um, yeah, I would get rid of Aurea for whatever money we could possibly get out of him, or you know buy his contract out. Wow. Um, and just get a, you know, go big and and get a, a quality right back in and make Kai Walker Peters second choice. So who is who is the quality right back that you'd get if you, uh, if you could choose? So my choice is uh, Youssef Atal. Um and there's not a huge amount of options outside of that. So I appreciate that's a tiny bit scary. You know, Max Aaron's has just signed a new contract. Um, we're not being linked with a lot of right backs, and that's worrying. Pereira. Yes, although he's probably out of price range now. He's at Leicester. Mm. Yeah, given that they've just demanded what eighty million for Harry Maguire, it sort of uh, makes you wonder what they'd ask for for Pereira. And I don't think Spurs can afford that, as well as signing others. Um, Bardi, how about you? What would you be doing with the right back situation right now? Um, I'd be trying to sign a right back, as Nathan says. Um, Foyf is Foyf has had his moments in um, at the Copper. He looked, he you know, he Foyf is what he is. He's very composed on the ball, very good, dribbles out of tight spaces, but he, I, he doesn't he doesn't really suit the Pochettino right back role. Um, yeah, you, we have to go out and buy another one, but. I think between, if we don't sell Aurea, I think between Aurea, Carl Walker, Peters and Foyf, we can kind of muster enough to get through um, as long as we have a, as long as we have a good left back. Because if, if we kind of played Foyf at right back, then you could almost kind of like, in a kind of boxing term, you could kind of jab with the right, but then really kind of attack with the left. So you kind of, you, if you know what, in, in my head, it makes a lot of sense where you kind of position, you move forward with the with the right back, but then you switch the play and the left back attacks. And that's how I, I see us kind of throwing attacks if we end up with Foyf at right back. But that also depends on who's going to be our left back. It doesn't kind of work if it's Davies on the other side. We'd become a little bit West Bromy with Davies and Foyf at full back. I just find this frustrating because we essentially go back to square one. We go back to the point where right back is our weakest position. And this is an opportunity to make that not the case anymore. And I feel like we might miss that opportunity, particularly with um, Dombele coming in, who often plays in that right channel and makes those driving runs and then wants the right back to pass two. If that is Aurier or if that is Foyth, then I'm not convinced that's 
that sound judgment from from our hierarchy I, I kind of I agree with you both that we should be looking to sign someone and then Walker Peters becomes the rotation and, and gets a proper bedding in year if that is what we're going to do um so it looks like the Giovanni Lo link is finally coming to fruition and the rumours seem to imply that now his club have signed or are signing Fekir that Lo will be released for transfer I think what we'll do is a dedicated podcast about that transfer when it happens and talk a bit about um, how that might have an impact on other members of our squad. But I mean, broadly speaking, that's got to be good news, right? It's difficult for me to be excited about signing Lachelso when I when it's very likely that that would mean losing Ericsson. Lachelso, and obviously again, we will talk about him more in depth. Lachelso is a really exciting, brilliant young player um, who has every right to be exciting, but the context makes me I would rather just stick with Ericsson. Um, mm. But you know, there you go. I totally agree. I I just hope that maybe this is. I mean, maybe I'm being massively optimistic, but the fact that we've got this far without selling Ericsson, maybe it's a sign that he's going to stay, and maybe this is a replacement for, say, Wanyama or uh, Dyer, perhaps. Oh. Oh my god, that that would be that would be really good. I hadn't yeah. even I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, yeah, Ericsson's staying along with Toby. Toby's the new captain. Ericsson stays. So and we don't do DMs right anymore. We don't need a defensive midfielder. No, we're going to revolutionise football by just not having fullbacks. Just not going to do it. <laughs> Seven attacking midfielders. That's the yeah, new just, formation. Just bit them off. Yeah. I mean, that's what City do, isn't it? So yeah, I, I, as, well. as you guys were talking, I was thinking, I was thinking about Guardiola and Delph. The situation they have. Delph at left back, Sinchenko, you know, I think maybe, maybe Poch, is, he knows what he's doing. You can, we've got to this point in our lives supporting Tottenham under Poch that you kind of have, have to trust him. And if he feels confident enough to go with the right back situation, how it is, then um, we've got, just got to hope that that's right. 
And I was fascinated with the way the club told this story. So on the website, when they announced the tour squad for the pre-season tournament, uh, they said that Danny Rose would be staying at home to facilitate him exploring opportunities with another club or something along along those lines. And then Pochettino, in his interview pre-match, pre-tournament, basically implied that it was the player's decision to do that. Um, But that doesn't... I don't necessarily think that is the case because we are fully aware that Alderweireld and Eriksson have been exploring opportunities with other sure. clubs, but they weren't left at home. So, Bardi, what do you think? Is this is this spin from Spurs? Is is this Pochettino giving Rose the cold shoulder? Um, possibly, but there's there's a, there's a bit of Danny. You know, I'm a Danny Rose fan, and there's there's just something I've had on my <laughs> chest with Danny Rose. You know, and I think sometimes we we in the grand scheme of tactics and everything else and systems, I think we forget just how Tottenham Danny Rose is. If you look at if you look at this young boy that jo- this when he joined Tottenham, he was a young boy. He scores a thunderous goal against Arsenal in his debut. He comes through all the injuries. He plows through all the managers, all the turmoil at the club. He gets rewarded with a five-year contract, and social media melts. They they lose they lose their minds. He then comes through more career-threatening injuries. He goes through the racist abuse that he's received. He comes through mental health issues, everything else, and he still gives everything he does to Tottenham. And um, he still goes into tackles. He attacks how he can. He throws himself into blocks, even if he does handball it sometimes. But he gives everything to Tottenham. So. And he's still a very good left back. So my love for Danny Rose is it's all encompassing. I, I love who he is and I will never agree with selling him. And I hope um, I hope Pochettino on this tour as they're going around um, Singapore and then China, I hope he looks around the dressing room and realises that for Danny Rose's faults, he's still an insanely good left back and one that we can't really replace properly. And I hope he stays. It feels like, I mean, obviously you love Rose and I get it, but it feels to me like Pochettino's kind of fallen out of love with Rose. Um, and I, 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 like, to me, it just makes sense that this is the right time to sell. He's he's getting to that age now where he's not, he's going to struggle to command a big transfer fee for much longer. We have the opportunity to sign Ryan Sessegnon, who I think could be converted into a very good left wing back. Now just feels like the right time to be selling Rose while there's still value there. Isn't that um, quite a bit of a gamble to go with Rose and an untested Sessignon into a Champions League and Premier League season? Sure. No, I, I agree. It is, a, it is a gamble. But then with Rose, you're also gambling on his fitness. I mean, he's he's completed around the 2,000-minute mark in um, most of the last five seasons, I think. He's generally around for half the season, um, and he can only really play one game a week, as we've seen. Um, so there, there are gambles with keeping him. So I get it from Pochettino's perspective. I'm just, I'm just surprised the way it's panned out. It wasn't done the way I thought it would be done, um, particularly with him being left at home uh, with with uh, Onimar and Edwards and and others who and Janssen and Kudu who are really frozen out. So it just feels slightly unPochettino to me. Can you imagine that training bunch hanging around um, Spurs Lodge? Those guys, they must <laughs> be, they, their morale must be like red, big down arrows and red. Danny Rose just quietly seething the whole time. <laughs> Drinking, he's definitely having a drink. Yeah. <laughs> so Nathan, you've written a 13 point to-do list. Talk, talk to us about it. Uh, okay, hang on, let me just find it quickly. So uh, it's separated into three different sections and the, the, the four in the high priority section, which is uh, either get Ericsson to sign a new contract or replace him. Same again for Alderweireld, 
Um, those are points one and two for me. I think that we've got to make we've got to have security on on those situations. My third one we've already talked about, which is selling and replacing Aurea. Um, I, yeah, I, all of these I think need to be done this summer. And then the fourth one would be to either add another midfielder generally or to sell and replace uh, Wanyama. So so that's sort of saying. In my mind, I think we want a defensive midfielder, but the links and everything and the activity suggest that maybe we're looking more for a central midfielder. But whatever, as long as we get bodies in there, I think we should be all right. Um, and then there's the non-urgent section, which is to sell and replace Rose. Well, that certainly looks like it's it's in process. Sell Janssen, sell and Kudu just to clear some room in the squad because we, we are lim- maxing out our, our foreign players for Champions League signing. And then you've got the lower priority one. So number eight, it would be to sell and replace Davies because we want to get a faster one in there. Sell and replace Lamella because he's broken half the year as good as he is. Um, and then you want to eventually get something to replace Vertonghen because he's getting old and he hasn't got that much long left on his contract. Sell and replace Dyer because although he's a good squad option, he can fill in various places. He hasn't developed as a player for a couple of years now and it's, it's frustrating. Number 12 would be to add another striker, to a full backup to Harry Kane who doesn't also you know play on the wing. And then number 13, uh, which I've taken some help with, would be to replace Hugo Lloris. Wow, I mean, so how, so what what kind of time frame are you are you thinking for, for all of this? Well, I optimally, optimally, yeah, we're talking about three years, but realistically, because it's Tottenham, it will be a full decade before we get all of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Yuris will still be playing for us at forty two. I'm, yeah, I, I can imagine that. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's hard to disagree with any of that. It's all it's all logical stuff. The problem is, there's been logical stuff before, and we haven't done it. So, like you say, it'll be half. Half of that will be ticked off, um, possibly not within your time frames, but I imagine half will just be left to left to linger. Bardi, where are you with our midfield? Because now we've spoken about defensive midfield. In my head, I'm thinking Wanyama's going to be gone before the start of the season, right? Yeah, yeah, Wanyama's Wanyama's done. He's, uh, he'll never that, play again. So, so Dyer's injured at the moment, but we've kind of all lost a bit of faith in Dyer after last season. Winks we love, but he'd probably I, I, I don't know. Would he rather play as the holding midfielder or or to his left or right? What happens if Winks were to get injured again? Given that we can't necessarily rely on his fitness, say we have sold Wanyama, does that mean we're relying? on Dyer as a holding midfielder again? I, I think so. I think so. Um, perhaps, I don't know if Skip could do it. I've, I said after the Everton game when he came on and had a really strong cameo that he, something about him just, just ticked with me and I just thought, hello, this guy can play. And from what I saw against Juventus, I'm even more convinced now that he's going to play a major role this season. Um, I think between Skip, Sissoko and Ndombele, if something happens to Winks, would be okay. Um, I don't really have too many fears now about central midfield. I I've kind of forgot Dyer existed. I think he might. we might see him at centre-back, but I just think he's too rash. But I would put Dyer alongside Wanyama as, the, as kind of unessential players, but who, if they stay, I'm not going to be too upset about. Okay, you made me feel a bit better. I think, I mean, Skip has so much potential. It's just a question of whether he's ready to step into a holding midfield role. Yeah, I mean, if with Lo Celso and Ndombele, I think they kind of fix central midfield, even with Ericsson going. It's it's a bad place to be, but I think we can we can deal with that. Um, I really like I really liked Lucas's end of this, end of season form. I really liked how sharp he looked again on um, against Juventus. So I think between Lucas, Son, Kane. 
I don't want to keep Lorente, but Lorente, Parrot, that kind of, I think we're all right up front. If Lamella stays fit, I think we're okay there as well. I think we've got enough options there. The, the situation is the fullbacks and what happens if Alderweireld leaves. Um, I'm not fully sold on Gazaniga. I've never been sold on him. And I, th- I think if Lloris breaks a finger or something, I think we're in desperate trouble because as much as he's very good at kicking the ball, I don't think he's very good at stopping it. So, but that that is once again that's a that's a, a squad position which is really far down the list. But I do have genuine nightmares of Lloris getting injured. Fair enough. Mm. Okay, we have um, an email from Javid Motherheady, who's um, a, a good supporter of our podcast. So thanks again, Javid. Uh, he and, uh, this is something we've touched on already, but I'm interested to talk about this in more detail. He said, uh, "How do you envisage we will line up next season at a diamond with a back three or a back four? Um, so he's then given some thoughts about this. I think the diamond is worth talking about because I wasn't expecting that to be our formation against Juventus at all. And I was quite surprised to see us come back with a diamond. Nathan, what, what did you think of that? Is that Was that a game-specific thing? Was it just due to the players being available? Or do you think that really is the focus for next season to persist with the diamond? It's difficult to say. So uh, the first thing you have to acknowledge is that a diamond is really useful against uh, Sarri sides because they play all of their football through their number six. Remember how we um, shut down Chelsea last season, especially early on when they, they aren't developing sort of alternate routes through their midfield. So, But are you really setting up in pre-season games specifically to beat your opponent or are you trying to best develop your preparation for the season? It's a little hard to tell because I think Pochettino is very settled. Um, the squad hasn't changed much yet and may not do. So it's not like he has to implement or re-implement ideas is in a big way so it's possible that that was just the optimum formation for that game I do also think that our squad kind of leans into the diamond um uh, you can name the same 11 players and they can either be a 4-2-3-1 or a diamonds quite easily I think that the nature of Sun being able to play wide and also up top sort of makes it move around a lot of that I think but <laughs> taking another step back we moved to a three-man midfield over the last two years because of our issues in central midfielders I know that's sort of counterintuitive to say we don't have enough midfielders so we're going to play even more of them but it, it's about sharing tasks around right Moussa Dembele did a task and then no one player could place that so we had to play two central midfielders at the same time with a defensive midfielder behind them so they could share both his defensive work and his ability to progress the ball now we brought in Ndombele probably and I'm very excited probably he can go back to doing taking on all of that work himself and allowing us to return to a two-man midfield but that's just an option because there is still a lot of reasons to stick with a three-man midfield right Uh, there's a lot of information there and it's confusing and there's no fixed answer um but i i think that we're moving into a a position where we have a lot of choice with how we can line up. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think one other thing that we sometimes forget is how flexible our, our forward players are. I mean, pretty much all of our forward players can play multiple positions, which gives us so much freedom and license to change things in game. Um, and I'd like to think that's something we'll see more of next season. I think that's still something that Pochettino doesn't do as much as perhaps he should. It's kind of wait and see in the first 15 minutes of a match what's happening and then 
tweak things and use use your tactical nous to have an advantage over an opponent. Buddy, are you going to say something? Now? Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say um, agree with Nathan. I think he saw Sari and he just thought he would do the diamond out of when we're not in possession. We we did clearly set up a diamond to stop Pjanic um, controlling the ball. But I thought in possession we we switched to a, a front three with Sun and Lamella both going wide and Parrot through the middle. I think it's. I think we've got to the point now where we will flex, we will change from in possession and out of possession. And um, I think it's good to have the flexibility. We've, we had some decent results with the diamonds. So, um, I, I, yeah, I don't see us. I see that the personnel remaining quite similar for a big game. Who We'll kind of guess who will start. But I think we will have to wait and see how the game changes and how... Um, how it adapts to see what actual formation we play. And I think in terms of back three or back four, my my own view is that it'll be back four unless we sign attacking fullbacks that really want to bomb on and then we might adjust to a back three at some point later in the season. Yeah, I mean, we could play Carl Walker-Peters and if we sign him Sessignon as wingbacks and then play, and then we've got multiple options in a black, back three from Sanchez, Foy, whoever. So, um, yeah, we have to, I think we have to wait and see. And I think if we find a, a rhythm and find a pattern, hopefully we don't have too many injuries, we might end up with a formation and we stick with that. Because I, I think a lot of Pochettino's flexing from one system to the next has been because of lack of form, tiredness or injuries. Sure, and I think if, if Alderweireld stays, then that really increases our options at centre-back, which means we'll probably see more of the back three um, than we did the season just gone, particularly given that he'll want to get Foyth on the pitch as much as possible, who, in my opinion, looks like one of our most impressive young players and someone who will, you know, Pochettino will kind of want to bring on next year. He'll, he's someone who he'll have in mind to kind of elevate as the season goes on. Um, and I think that's an exciting thought, actually. I think there's one thing we haven't spoken about, and um, it's, it's quite amazing. It's we haven't spoken about Harry Kane. Um, how amazing it is to have him look back, looking looking fresh, looking looking slim, with a six pack, and <laughs> still with the, with the unshakable belief that he's the best player in the world by smacking one in from the halfway line. He's he's. He's a, he, when he's fit, he's insanely good. When he's not fit, he's a bit more of a kind of a Steve Claridge kind of bulldozer role where he's just, <laughs> you know, like when you, you know when he's not fit, like when he played against Arsenal at the Emirates, against Liverpool away, where all he does really is kind of goes to find a centre-back to play off against. But when he is fit, he's, he's, a, he's a different animal. He's incredible. Look, I know the point you're making, but Steve Claridge, mate, come on. Higuain at least yeah sorry yeah Higuain would have been a a better example someone who almost has to go and find an opponent to kind of know how to play rather than kind of finding space and and attacking space and just being a bit more confident and having belief in his body but talent wise the guy's the guy's unshakable he's insane yeah you're so right I mean that goal was absolutely outrageous the fact that he tried that in his his first game um, pre-season and like it just seemed I don't know it seemed commonplace for him to be doing it the the reaction was nothing really there's a bit of excitement but everyone just sort of was like yeah that's that's Harry Kane he does that kind of thing if another player in the squad had done it We'd be, we would not have stopped talking about it all yeah. episodes. You're right. Or you're right. if an Arsenal player had scored that, can you imagine what they'd be doing right now on social media? They would, just, you know, 
Can you imagine the kind of goals they actually score in training sometimes? Just when you <laughs> let you let Deli Ali and the rest of them just just Lucas just just go free, do play street football. Can you imagine the, the scenes they do in, in training? It must be amazing to watch. Yeah, and speaking of which, the the first goal I thought was a really nice counter attacking move, and then the disallowed goal as well was a kind of mm. tick attacker style uh, move. There, there was a lot to enjoy about our attacking swagger in this match. Um, but we'll end it there. Before we do, though, we're going to bring back further reading. So what we're going to start doing is uh, one member of the podcast is going to mention something every every uh, episode, and we'll start with Barley this time. Yeah, it, it's a book which um, has has been doing the rounds on Twitter. Everybody's been kind of bigging it up, and it deserves it. It's um, Michael um, Cox's new book, Zonal Marking, the the making of modern European football. And what he's done is, in a similar way to his one in the Premier League, where he traces um, the history of football, starting he his starting point is always the back pass law. So um, he picks up in Dutch football in the early 90s and then traces it all the way to modern day. To be honest with you, the bits where he gets to um, to England and the modern Premier League, I found, you know, we, we, we watch it all the time. So it wasn't quite as interesting as the early stuff where you kind of realise the impact of the, the Bosman ruling had on a team like Ajax who consistently kept developing. And importantly for them, they were able to hold on to their key players. And it tracks the Bosman rule and how the Dutch influence kind of spread out, went to Italy, went to Spain. And it follows it, it goes from Holland to Italy to France. And then with France, you really get into the interesting bit with the, the central midfield roles by looking at Zidane, Deschamps and Makaleli, And then how kind of these specialist defensive midfielders that they had at the turn of the millennium has now changed once again. And you have players like Ndombele, Pogba, Kante to some extent. It's, um, it's a really interesting book. It deserves all the hype it's been getting. And it's... Um, it's written in his kind of style. When you listen to him speak, it's very free and easy and it's written in that way. So even if you're not really into your football history, it's not as quite as, it's not as hard of read as like a Jonathan Wilson book. And I personally, I think it's a great football book. Excellent review, Vardy. Very thorough. Um, Thank you, Wendy. And yeah, I, I think Michael's such an engaging writer. Um, mm. He's very easy to read. Um, it's kind of, he, he goes into, into some depth, but it comes across as really light and enjoyable. And yeah, I, I admire Michael's work greatly. So lovely review. Um, <laughs> well, go on. Oh, it just feels like you're taking the piss, but okay. <laughs> Thank I'm you. really not. I'm really not. I'm totally it's, sincere. You come back from a summer holiday. What's your homework? You have to review a book. And then I, I've, I've stood up, <laughs> read my book review, and the teacher's gone, yeah, that wasn't too bad. No, no. Yeah, B plus. I've, I've got to keep you I've got to keep you on track because you know if you if you want to get into if you want to get into Durham University then you're going to need those <laughs> those two A's so we've got to keep you working towards it thank you by the way we need to give a shout out to uh, Tangi Ndombele's first oh, touch shit, of the club yes. being an acrobatic interception and then like four touches later a perfect three ball assist great shout Nath yeah lovely lovely introduction from our new boy um yeah, he, he's fitted in very seamlessly. He's the best footballer we've ever had. <laughs> okay, um, and that is the perfect place to leave this on. <laughs> Gotta go early with this shit, man. Awesome. Before someone else claims it. <laughs> You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, D Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. 
And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.